Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Sternke. I'm here with my uh, comrades, with my uh, compatriots, with my partners, <laughs> with my friends. I didn't really think through all of what I was going to call you guys, but what's Matt our name? What's our name, Ben? Yeah, Matt Tebby is your name. Say my name. I'm here with Matt, and I'm also <laughs> I'm also here with uh, Christy Penley. Hi, Christy. Merry Christmas, you. friends. Merry Christmas Merry, to yes. everyone. Uh, unless, I mean, it is still Advent, but you know we're not going to be too uh, liturgical police on anybody. Um, this is Christmas. It's the week of Christmas. Oh, and many of you may already be listening to this. Maybe after Christmas. Yeah, you know? maybe, maybe after. Maybe you got a little time off and you're catching up on your podcast, and you wanted to listen to us interview Kurt Thompson. This was a hmm. fantastic interview, by the way. Yeah. I, can't wait to, I can't wait to share this with you. Um, I wish I could have a podcast with him every week. He's just like, he could be the fourth co-host. <laughs> right. Oh, we actually joked about that, having him on just regularly, because he was such a delightful person. Yeah. Um, yeah. he's, he's a wonderful guy. We should, we um, should do, yeah. we should do a, uh, a live episode with him on our member platform. Oh though. yeah. That'd totally, be awesome. Totally. Totally. Yes. Master uh, Friends, we'll be talking a lot more about this in the new year, but, uh, we're mm-hmm. starting a, a membership, uh, where you can get in on these conversations. Uh, we'll say more about that in the new year, but, um, yeah, Kurt would be a, an awesome interview. So, mm. um, well, before we get into that, um, Christy, sent us some Christmas gifts I did. that she wanted us to open yes. during I this hope, intro. I hope you have it right there. I do. I do. Um, your, just so like, you know, it's all in it. a stocking so that right. the little things aren't actually like wrapped. You're just going to pull right. them out. I tried to put them in order so you guys like open them at the same time. Okay. Should I, should well, I grab should I know, coordinate here? Yeah, I think yeah. you should because okay. you're going to have to describe to our listeners what I sent. I know. This, all right. this um, is a, if, uh, if there was a video... 
I know. Amazon too bad it's box not. will see this lovely stocking. It's a lovely <laughs> exactly. red and green stocking. I, All right. Yeah. There we right, go. So, okay. So well, we'll have the mercy. First. Wait. Do we have to open the Let card first? That's what was a no, rule. My family. No. You know what? Give the card. Yeah, I know it is. Give your give the card to your wives. Okay. So All right. I'll give the card to wives. Okay. Uh, oh, a candy cane. <laughs> first thing. Look at this candy cane. A candy cane. Look at that. Just you know, great. Merry Christmas. What is this? Okay. So the first thing in my stocking is a hat. Oh yeah. Put that okay. sucker on. Right, it's got on. it's got Let's the go Colorado flag on, and so I mean Colorado I'm in Colorado. Flag. You guys are in Indiana, but you need some some Colorado gear. Yeah, all right. this hat is really swag. fancy, but it's super tight Whoa. on my head. It's super like. <laughs> it's adjust, the flat brim. The Listen, my boys are all about flat brims. So yeah, I know you know because your kids are your kids oh, are dope. Sorry, all right, what else in here? Hold on. I gotta get my hat on. Oh, <laughs> I, my I cannot wait. So oh, yeah. Tell us, tell us what it is. All right, Christy Pinley Sorry, sent me get... a Ziploc baggie. There's a Ziploc oh, baggie full here. Of... Look at that. Oh, there's oh. something in the Ziploc baggie. Oh, these are those um, little. Uh, what do they call these? What do they call these? Um, flossers, like uh, flossers, dental like flossers, dental picks. picks. Yeah. yeah. Remember, okay. Do you, some of our listeners I are gonna remember. remember. But at one yeah, point, y'all episode. were like, we need these everywhere. We need them in our car and at our desk. And look right at now. Ben's using right. it right now, yeah. you guys. Yep. <laughs> Hilarious. This oh, isn't like a word. secret. Christy has to put up with this. Like, we, we straight up like dental floss our teeth while we're recording podcasts. And she's kind of like. toenails. It's like gross to me. No, just kidding. We don't, don't do, that. do that. We don't pick our teeth up this. <laughs> yeah, but you but did was one a time. Intro. We you did one time have a piece of dental floss like on your desk. Yeah. It was just sitting there. Right. Yep. We talked about and that. And you were in like, intro. it's clean. And I'm like, that's uh, gross. It. Like yeah. it shouldn't yeah. be sitting. Okay. Well, find this find what awesome. else because there's also another dental thing in there. Like if you can find like a little box. I got my hat. I got my fixed my hat. Oh. This is a whoopee. A whoopee cushion. Wait, is this guy giving? Okay, blow mine up. This is awesome. Okay, okay listen. Whoopee cushion. I gave him a whoopee cushion because sometimes <laughs> y'all <laughs> totally blowing it up. Sometimes I can't y'all blow mine up. What's going listen, on? Listen, I have to work okay. with you too. Yeah, Chris, right, Chrissy. I just okay, have one thing to say. This. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> so violent. Oh my word! I shouldn't have sent it. No, oh that's my great. It's well, perfect. You know. Well, what's the you were gonna say? What's the reason you sent us whoopee cushion? Oh, just because, just because, like you know, working uh-huh. with two boys, I feel like sometimes you know. <laughs> boys. <laughs> Sorry, I'm 46. I said boys. Yeah, we are boys. <laughs> well, but you like really whoopee accurate. cushions, so sure. really accurate. Okay. I love it. I love All right. It. What All else right. is in Here your stocking? There is okay. a d- another dental thing. One more. Oh, dental floss. There's dental. Oh, did you get some floss? <laughs> and then I just figured, you know. And but then, then the last thing. Colorado socks, Bernies. I've just socks. heard about Bernies. Yes, Bernies? they're the best. Yes, they're great like for skiing and sledding and being okay. outside, all things cold. Yeah, and so okay. I thought you needed right. a pair. This is great. This is so, amazing, Christy. I am Merry decked Christmas, out y'all. now. Christy, you're the best. Well, the now best. you look like you're from Colorado. I was yeah. actually just Cause, talking. Because everybody from Colorado just wears Colorado swag all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is great. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Probably you, more people from Colorado wear Colorado swag than people from Indiana wear Indiana yeah, swag, that's though. True. Right? That's, is yeah, there anything so. such thing as Indiana swag? Do you oh, have there, any? I mean, there, uh, it's, no, mostly, it's mostly focused on the... Like a team. Yeah, it's mostly focused on the, if a college team or yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or pro team. It's cold Colorado stuff or Purdue stuff. Colorado just likes its people. We don't need a team. IU stuff. <laughs> 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 we have pride in ourselves. <laughs> 
Uh, this is great, Christy. Thank you so much. Awesome. I yeah, gonna, Merry Christmas, y'all. I'm gonna see Ben yeah. a little later today. I'm gonna wear, I'm gonna wear some Colorado socks and a Colorado hat. And right. you might bring your if I, if I wear my Colorado hat, I think people might look at us funny. Uh, Twinning. I know they're this. <laughs> they're the same. That's yeah. funny. There is uh, a there's a there's a um, there is a couple that lives in uh, a neighborhood that some folks from our church uh, live in, and this couple dresses identically every single day. <laughs> for real? Yeah, for real. Like I like the How first time I they? saw them, I don't know. Are they they're in like their 80s? millennials? They're like millennials. Oh. And I, the first time I saw them, I was like, what like what's going on over there? And they're like, oh, oh yeah, gosh. they do that every day. Like every single day, they dress the same and they go for like long walks around the neighborhood. So they're like totally unironically you know dressing who I'm identically. I, you know how I picture when you say that? I picture Todd and Margot from Christmas Vacation. Remember that couple that lives next to Clark Griswold? Very, very vaguely. Very, okay. I can't remember well, that. Uh, that was uh, that Julia Marie Dreyfus. Louise, not Marie. Oh. Louise Dreyfus. Oh, yeah. Remember her? Yeah. Back in the day. I did. Uh, yeah. Christy, I anyway. don't even have to ask. I know that these are gifts from the heart. These are oh, gifts yeah. from the heart from Christy to us, and <laughs> they mean a great deal. So thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, man. Thank You're you, welcome. Christy. It's fun. Yeah, you are. Uh, you're really good at this gift buying thing. I was just, uh, yeah, I was just telling somebody the other day that I, I want to get better at gift buying as a, or at least like gift gifting things to people. I, I don't, I'm not very good at it. So, well, let yeah. me just, just out of help, uh, have y'all bought yeah. your wives a gift? Yeah, I mean for so you, Christmas, you got I your did. Christmas. Yeah. You're good. I never have bought my wife a gift. No, I, yeah, no, Christmas is good. We're, okay, we're Matt, no, did you buy Sharon no, a gift no, yet? No, no, no. But I'm thinking about giving her a whoopee cushion now. <laughs> no, that <laughs> is not a flossers. No, no. We're, I'm taking my Listen, kids. <laughs> you cannot re-gift anything I just no. gave you for your wife. Uh, I'm thinking, uh, honey, how how are your teeth doing? Um, no, I'm I'm taking my kids Christmas shopping dirty? this evening, and my wife has a girls' uh, okay. night. They're going to watch a movie, okay. and we're okay. going to go Christmas shopping for Sharon this evening. But Christy, okay. I have. I have no idea what to get her. Nothing that plugs in. Let me just tell you that. Don't oh, buy her something oh. that plugs in. Okay. Like nothing that like you can't buy her a blender or hair dryer oh, or something like that. I did like, see I a mean, commercial. I did see a commercial about something called Toyotathon. And apparently people are buying their spouses forty thousand dollar cars without telling them okay. about it first. No, 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 no. Hmm. no. All right. Gift I've cards heard are good. Find your favorite store. A, a week long Christian festival. Toyotathon. All right, I'll, I saw that joke on the internet the other day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I'll think about it. If you, yeah. yeah, you know Sharon a little bit, Christy. Yes, my, my I love Sharon. Cece, my nine-year-old, is a gift buying guru. She loves buying gifts, loves wrapping gifts, loves getting gifts. So I'll let her help me pick out a present there you for go. her mom. Okay, well, good. We'll be good. Yeah. Thanks All so right. much, Christy, for you this got a couple more days. Oh yeah, and this, this stocking, yeah, this is so fun. This is so fun. Let's do this every week. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> the 12 days of Christmas. Here 12 we days of Christmas, yeah. 12 podcasts, 12 weeks of podcast. All right, Christmas. well, should we jump? <sighs> All right. People clicked on this hoping to get Kirk Thompson, and we're just talking about and it. And they got Christmas, Actually, but they also they, hope for well, some Christmas cheer. The podcast itself is a gift. It really is Truly. good. Um, it is. It's and really I good. really this like is... him a lot. I've read his books. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using yeah. some of his stuff in from his books in my research for my actual degree. Mm, and yeah. so, um, but you know, it's better than even his books is him as a person. Yeah. Um, I, I was, and it's, 
man, he's just a delight and I really respect him a lot. So yes. um, I enjoyed our time together. Yeah, I did too. This this new book is really good. Um, it's called The Soul of Desire. Um, and Kurt, Kurt Thompson uh, wrote a lot about shame um, and has taught me a lot about shame. But this this book on desire really resonates well with, if you know anything about Gravity Leadership Academy, we focus a lot on mm-hmm. um, getting in touch with desire. It's a really important aspect of what it means to be a spiritual leader, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kurt seems to get this intuitively and he writes really, really well about it. And like you were saying, Christy, whenever I meet somebody that I like as an author, I'm always a little bit nervous to actually meet them for a podcast interview or like yeah. in real life, because you just never know. You just never right. know. Hmm. Um, but delightfully, Kurt yeah. is, man, he's just the real deal. Um, and so he, he's, a, he's a lovely person. Um, he's a real Christian, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> I like those phonies. Yeah, those phony Christians. Um, no, he, uh, he's yeah. great. And this interview was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot. So let's, let's get into it. All right. Let's get into it, friends. Um, Oh, we should probably blurb. Um, We need to, uh, if you're not part of our email list, we always forget to do this guys. We, uh, we have too much fun, but uh, if you're not part of our email list, uh, please join us. Gravityleadership.com slash join. Um, You get a free uh, email from us. Uh, It's free. (laughs) You don't even have to pay for the email. A Merry Christmas email. A Merry Christmas email um, um, every Friday. But uh, go go ahead and sign up for that. And then, as we said uh, before, uh, we're going to share more about this um, membership platform in the new year um, that we're looking to, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, release and start to populate. So let us get into Kurt Thompson. Amen. Here we go. All right. All right. Right, everyone. Our guest on the podcast today is Kurt Thompson. Kurt is a board-certified psychiatrist and the founder of Being Known, an organization that develops resources for hope and healing at the intersection of neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation. He's the author of The Soul of Shame and The Anatomy of the Soul and the book that we're talking about today, which is called The Soul of Desire. Kurt, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Ben, thank you. And to Christy and Matt, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, we are excited to uh, talk with you today. Is there anything else that you would like for us to know about you before we dive in? Um, well, uh, that I've, uh, I mean, the, 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 like all these things are getting shaped by the three probably most formative relationships for me, which include my wife of 35 years and my two adult kids. Um, mm. And that's, that's, I think that's an important for for folks to know. And, and, and I, I tell this folk to folks regularly, like that I'm, I'm a, a professional sinner. You know, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> nice. I'm, I like, I don't mess around. Yeah. yeah. Sin. And Everything. like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm really glad that there are only 10 commandments Yeah, <laughs> because if there were I, that way, I only have to keep track of that many that I break every day. Not, not more yeah. than that. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's helpful. And, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm not really being tongue in cheek. There is a sense in which, um, <laughs> Uh, it, it's, um, it's, it's always great to be having conversations with people who, uh, recognize that it's, uh, that in following the King, it's something that's really just not easy to do. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so as we say, the brain can do a lot of hard things for a really long time, as long as it doesn't have to do it by itself. And mm. so I'm glad to, uh, be doing that work with you all today. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Kurt. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm 
I'm glad for that as well. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about um, your, your, your work has actually been really helpful for me personally and for Gravity um, for several years, um, the other books that I mentioned. Um, but this book that we're talking about today, The Soul of Desire, is, um, is a really, really good book. I was just commenting uh, to you, Kurt, um, before we hit record that this is, there's, there's a lot of wisdom, creativity. Um, this is a gentle book and it's a funny book. Um, and so I, <laughs> I'm actually going to be adding this. It really coheres nicely with a lot of the work that we do in Gravity Leadership Academy um, around desire and helping people see how Jesus did this with people, um, mm-hmm. asking questions. The question that frames the book, you know, what do you, what do you want, mm-hmm. um, is a key question in our training. And so this is going to become part of our kind of supplemental reading uh, that we um, show to people as they mm-hmm. go through our uh, leadership training. And so anyway, I just wanted to say thanks for writing this book, Kurt. Wow. It's a really great book. Well, your words are very kind and uh, thank you for saying them and I, I will be taking them in for some time to come. Thank you. <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, talk, talk, talk to us about the, like the genesis of this book. What were you seeing or sensing that made you want to address the question of desire? Well, I think, uh, it, it, it came, you know, the, uh, as we were talking a little bit before we started the recording, uh, there was kind of an emergence out of the fog of this idea of desire. The mm. previous two books that I've written, uh, the first one I wrote, uh, primarily what began with a demographic of my patients in mind, there were certain things that we were going to apply this neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation that would seem pretty plain. And out of that grew the second book, uh, cause we really wanted to focus on shame and out of this book on shame, uh, there was this kind of amorphous sense that there's something more to be said uh, in response, further in response to this notion. What does it mean for us to be in our cloud of witnesses, and what, what do we then go on to do? Hmm. Um, uh, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of spending a week uh, collaborating with Mako Fujimura around this question of what does it mean for us to be artists in the world? What do artists become, and what is it like for us to imagine ourselves as bearing God's image as artists in the world, hmm. as God being an artist? And one of the things that began to strike me in that week that we were spending time together, as he painted and I and others talked about the work that we do, it began to strike me that the work that we do, even in working with patients, is not, I mean, it's easy for us to think about this in terms of um, fixing problems, you know, diagnosing pathologies and treating pathologies. Mm -hmm. Uh, but really what really began to emerge for me there was this notion that actually what we are, what we are doing is we are trying to create beauty and goodness in the world. We're not just trying to fix problems. We're not just trying to identify the world as a problem, but we're really trying to imagine the world as an artistic expression that is in the process of emerging. This is what new creation is really all about. It's about redoing, regenerating what Genesis one and two point us toward in the first place. And out of that grew this notion that more so than even, even beyond this notion of community being an, an answer to shame and to its destructive effects beyond that is this notion Hmm. that, uh, an even more, an even fuller answer to this is that we are called to create beauty in the very place where trauma and shame have been. We don't just want to fix it. We don't just want to go back to baseline, but mm. that we want to see this as an opportunity for creativity. Mm. 
And of course, this is pretty counterintuitive for us as human beings, let Mm. alone the patients that walk into our office. (laughs) And we ask the question now, in the last several Mm. years, we've been practicing asking patients the question, what is the next new artifact of beauty in your life that you long to create? Of course, if you're depressed or anxious Mm. or you're like, you know, in a marriage that is failing, you're like, I don't get it. Like, I, what's the, what's this got to do with anything? Right. I think in in the similar way that perhaps Jesus' disciples or John's disciples might have been caught off guard a little bit when Jesus inquires of them in one John one thirty eight this notion of what do you want? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is an utterly stunning and startling question when you think about what would have been going on in a first century time frame, let mm. alone what it's like mm. for us even now to imagine we can ask each other what we want. It's you know it's Christmas. I got my Christmas stuff on here. Right? <laughs> we can ask each other what do we want. But yeah. even when we ask each other, it makes me nervous. Do yeah. I am I do I have the right answer to the question? Am I going to answer something that's going to get me in trouble? Perhaps I don't even know. Like I legitimately don't know because perhaps desire for me as a person has been too intertwined with my trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, I work really, really hard not to allow myself to want things because it's just mm. too dangerous. Yeah. And so this notion then began to have me being curious about what does it mean for us to be people of desire because we express things. And then it turns out you start to look at this and my goodness, from the very beginning, you're like, this is what kids do. Kids create, they, 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 they long to be known, but they long to be known in order to make stuff. They want to make yeah. stuff in the world and, and you don't have to teach them to do this, mm-hmm. right? They just come out of the, you know, they, they just come out making things. Mm. And this doesn't ever stop unless we put an end to it, which we often do because we start to associate longing for creativity with, I'm going to get into trouble. I'm not going to do this right enough, so forth and so on. And, um, so, uh, between this, you know, in this intersection with the work that Mako and I were doing along with, I think, um, just developmental realities and the interpersonal neurobiological, like emergence of things as kids develop. And then really seeing, that the entire arc of the biblical narrative is about preparing us to do when you know when when the fullness of the new heaven and earth arrives to practice helping us practice for what's coming this whole notion of what lewis would say is further up and further in that every day paul's language in 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 colossians this this notion that even though the old nature is wasting away the new inner nature is being renewed every day which is weird Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just made new. Like I got a new car and it's new and it's only new once and then it's old right. thereafter. Right. Like today I'm new tomorrow. I'm newer. The next day I'm newer. Like that doesn't really, I, I don't really quite get that with my time, you know, how I mm-hmm. time travel. Yeah. Anyway, I'm perhaps <laughs> off topic now, but that's the long way to answer your question. No, this is, this is great. This is great. You're touching on so <laughs> much that I want to talk about um, yeah. here, Kurt. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy.
you talk about Jesus' question um, of what do you want being this startling question, and, and you write in the first part of this book that it's a life-altering practice to answer this question consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if you could just yes. uh, tease that out for us. Like, mm-hmm. why is Jesus so interested in us getting in touch with our desire? Maybe you can draw on a, a little bit clearer connection between mm-hmm. desire and beauty mm-hmm. and goodness. Mm-hmm. Like, how mm-hmm. are those things, you know, connected? Mm-hmm. And then what's so transformative about this practice of naming what we want? Mm-hmm. Recognizing that we have... 30 to 40 minutes and not <laughs> several yeah. days. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, this is a master I, I'm, class. I'm, yeah. I, am, I, am, uh, I think one thing it's helpful to remember is that the Gospel of John uh, is often uh, seen as a recapitulation of Genesis. Right. Mm-hmm. And we see so much of what John writes as being, uh, is, is, uh, is done so uh, with the light of Genesis shining in the room. Mm. And when he writes about what, you know, when Jesus asks this question, in many respects, this is the very act of God in the first two chapters of Genesis. This whole notion of God wanting to make us, one would think that if you get to the end of Genesis chapter one, that when it comes to making humans, that God would do the same, that the writer would give us the same story that he would give with everything else. And God said, let there be human beings and there were human beings. But it doesn't say that. It says, and God said, let us make mankind in our image. There's a whole conversation about it. There's, there's a pause. There's a reflection. There is, there is this, as you know, they're, they're brilliant. The Genesis writers are brilliant in the sense that they don't explain everything. They don't tell everything. They show us. They just show us. And they're showing us a God of desire, mm. a God who wants to make human beings. And if we were to presume that this is the God who can see down the road all the way to Good Friday, we see that this is a God who wants us even in the face of what we will do to him. Mm-hmm. But we also see this God as a wanting God connecting this desire. So when we are made in his image, we are necessarily made as people who reflect a God who is the great desirer. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be people of desire. And if we're going to be in his image, then we, if we notice how God desires things, this notion that when you read the, Again, the first portion of Genesis 1, this notion that, and God saw that it was good, all those things that God made, there will be this line in in many of those verses, and God saw that it was good. The word good in Hebrew can easily be interchanged for the word beautiful. Mm. And God saw that it was beautiful. But it's not just a matter of God seeing something as being beautiful. I'm God. There's the object over there. There is this sense in which the beauty of that, which God sees emerges as a function of God looking at it. (laughs) And so we recognize that if all of this is happening, then it's my goodness. We aren't just called to create beauty because we are imaging the one who's made us to operate like he operates. We are actually in so doing, God is seeing us and we are emerging as beauty as we do this. And this, of course, mm-hmm. is a really big deal because how many of us, you know, if, 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 if I were to just take five minutes and this would be really uncomfortable. I just just because you know, we, we've done this to patients in our offices and like, I'll tell you. <laughs> Like they tell us it's uncomfortable. Yeah, 
Um, we we have this. We have this. I'll just say it. So we have this exercise in which we will take a married couple, of course, that are like they're maybe mad at each other, or whatever. We'll give them this. The, the exercises. I want you to sit knee to knee, just looking at each other for the next five minutes. Just want you to look at each other with loving kindness. You're not staring. You're not not batting. You're you're not you're you're looking at each other, loving kindness. And of course, the first ninety seconds are just hell. Mm. <laughs> Because the whole notion of like, when's the last time that anybody has looked at you for longer than like five or six seconds, let alone for mm-hmm. five minutes. And of course, once they get past this whole notion and they're working to look at one another with loving kind of, you'll watch that you'll watch the distress kind of playing out and then they will get comfortable with each other. And then you will notice by the time the five minutes are up, they don't want to stop wow. Because they are looking at each other with loving kindness, and it is in that gaze that beauty emerges. They don't even have to say to each other, beauty is what I see. Beauty is being called forth out of each of them because of the gaze by which they're captured. Mm. And I want to invite us to consider that this is what God is doing with his creation. This is what God is doing with us, and this is what God has called us to do in the work that we do as leaders, that this is what we are called to do. We are called to gaze upon that which we are working with and call forth its beauty. Wow. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there you go. I think that's <laughs> I think the question. Yeah. That is powerful. It's really yeah. powerful. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of so much uh, in the church. We start with Genesis 3. We start, I'm a sinner. Right, right. And not in Genesis 1 and 2 that I'm beloved, right. that I'm seen, that I'm right. desired, that I'm right. Um, I'm curious to hear from you, if you would be willing to share, how did writing that part of the book, of, of unearthing that in your own personal life transform you? Because that's not just something we say. That, like, that goes from our head knowledge to the bones of who we are. Right. And you're absolutely right. And the thing is, is that, of course, uh, you know, that little exercise that I just shared, you know, um, we, we pretty quickly reveal to people that we, A, we don't, we, we don't practice this very much. We're very, and we're made very quickly, very uncomfortable with the notion of someone being that intimately, you know, like it feels intrusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it feels intrusive because that kind of a gaze is necessarily touching the parts of us that we feel most worried about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're going to see the part of me that when you do, you're going to go. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go tell all your friends, mm-hmm. don't ever look a Kurt again. <laughs> and so not only does, I mean, part of why we begin at Genesis 3 is because beginning at Genesis 1 and 2 is so terrifying. Yeah. Hmm. And so, uh, for me personally, I mean, I, I gosh, I, I could spend a month of Sundays just like in my marriage, for instance. You know, my my wife will tell me that we'll have one of these moments where, you know, Kurt does what he's been doing for thirty five years. The professional somehow, stuff. you know, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, like, like for the love of Pete, like, why? There are just certain patterns, mm-hmm. right? That like you, you just you know continue to maintain. And when something like this, if, if, if there's a rupture that I'm responsible for, um, I'm often I, I don't just feel bad uh, because it's happened. I feel bad because it's one more evidence, one piece of evidence that like uh, this is not ever going to change. Yeah. 
So it's like shame layered upon shame and so forth. And when this happens, at least in our marriage, it's very easy for me to go to this place where I can't imagine that she wants to have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. And then, and of course, this is not true for her. Right. And then when we come back, she, you know, and she, she said like, it's, it's almost as if, if you were to imagine our marriage being this, if you were to look at like a circle, like a, a circle in our marriage is like looking under the microscope at the entire circle of what's under the lens. And it's this very bright light. And up in what there's just one on the rim of the edge of the, of the microscope of, 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 of what you, of the viewfinder, there's this speck that represents this part of our marriage. Mm-hmm. And when this happens, it's as if you take the lens and you drop the lens over the speck and the speck fills the entire field. Mm-hmm. And like, that's all you see. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is because it like, I can't imagine you continuing to look at me and she would say, so then we need to practice. You need to practice with me looking at you in this space. And I can't make you pull your lens up. I can't make you do that, but that's just one example. Mm-hmm. And like, th- this is, uh, you know, as, as they say, you know, you, you, you write books and then you're like, crap, why did I write that? Cause now I got to work through the stuff I just wrote and I'm just going to take me forever to do yeah, this, yeah, yeah. which is, which has been part and parcel of this. I mean, I have any number of places in terms of, you know, speaking of leadership, uh, I sold my practice to, uh, the, the person who I worked very closely with a couple of years ago, turned that over. And the very moment that I did, I was sure that like I was going to be the least interesting thing in the practice, like, you know, next to the tax returns and, and to have to, and to have to work through what it now means to not have the title, the position and so forth and so on to think that, um, that sense that people want you in the room, that people want to gaze upon you when you are so well aware of all the things about you that you can't imagine that they would ever want to have in the room. Yeah. And so I, I don't know, Christy, if this is if this is answering your question, but I, I think it has it, it has been enlightening and also like ugh, because of uh, there there is this uh, unveiling of parts of me that I now have to work on. And and I'm and you know, and I, I would say now after a few months of this, I'm I'm grateful for that, but I I would say I wasn't grateful for it like two years ago. Mm, yeah. 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 <clears throat> Kurt, I wonder if um, I love this connection between desire and beauty and goodness. Um, but I think a lot of people, when they hear like getting in touch with your desires, they don't think about, oh, yeah, I really want to create something beautiful. And I really like they think about bad things, right? They think about, mm-hmm. oh, desire is what mm-hmm. led to my affair, or desire mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. makes me drink too much on the weekend, or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, desire is mm-hmm. like they, they associate their desire with this thing that's going to lead them mm-hmm. astray. Like if I follow my mm-hmm. desires, it's a crouching so, lion mm-hmm. waiting to devour right. us. It's, ben. it's uh, and you know, right. and uh, the scriptures talk right. about this a little bit, the church fathers, you right. know, so how, how would you respond to that? How would you help someone delineate, you know, who's scared of getting in touch with their desires because they're afraid they're going to like, you know, fall off a cliff? Right. Well, I, w- I would say a couple things. One is I would I would I would go back to and reference what Christy, what you said just a moment ago that we begin in Genesis three. We that's where that's where we begin, and in some respects, beginning in Genesis three is safer, mm. because as long as I can know that oh desire is bad, I'm not going to go there. I don't have to mess around with it. Mm-hmm. The problem is, it doesn't keep the desire from being active. Yes. 
it is, it is going to have its day in court with me. Mm-hmm. And it's either going to lead to behaviors that kind of fly under the radar of our common concepts of what are bad behavior. Like I'm just going to eat a half sleeve of Oreos every night, yeah. or I'm going to uh, not indulge in pornography, but I'm going to get, I'm going to get pretty close to it in terms of what's going on in the privacy of my own mind, or I'm going to work myself to death or all the things, mm-hmm. all the, all the soft addictions that we come up yeah. with. That will be one thing that, that I would, and this is the thing that, that trauma and shame tend to do. They don't just shatter my connection relationally with others. They also shatter my capacity to appropriately perceive the nature of what has happened. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which means I'm not aware that I still actually have desire. I'm just going to put a lid on yeah. it. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to have these, which is really what, you know, our kind of, this is what, this is what Pharisees were really doing, right? This is the part of me that is Pharisaical will do. I'm going to put a lid on this. These are the rules. If I, as long as I obey the rules, I don't like step outside the lines. I don't get into trouble, but my desire is going to do something. Mm-hmm. It's going to find a way to get out. Mm-hmm. And so two things I would say is that it's really crucially important for us from a teaching standpoint and from a, to invite people into a space where they can imagine what does Genesis one and two tell us? This is why the preaching of the gospel, this is why our spiritual formation, this is why our catechesis, this is why the things of the church need to begin in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now we also need to then include what happens in Genesis three, not just to remind us that we're all sinners. Like the throughout, like I like I don't need to be like I got that. Like I got that. I got it. Right. Right. But to remind us Mm that our brokenness also shatters our capacity to understand what the nature of the way forward is. And the nature of the way forward is not to put a lid on my desire, but to actually explore it to its end, Mm -hmm. explore it comprehensively. Jesus asks this question in John 138 primarily as a way to begin the conversation that of course is going to end with I guess what it is that we want is you and we want to be seen, soothed, safe, made to be secure by you. We, we want this in order for us to create beauty and goodness. And along the way, I have to acknowledge how trauma and shame in my life and generationally in my parents, my grandparents and all that they've given me tends to take me in a direction in which desire does get transformed into devouring. Mm. I can't pretend that that doesn't happen. This is evil's. I mean, this is what evil's about. Evil's about devouring us. And as long as he can get us to devour ourselves and each other, that's much less work that he has to do. And so to the degree that we are naming desire, but also acknowledging trauma, Mm -hmm. when we are entering into that trauma and shame with others, it is in those moments and those memories that they're given the opportunity to really recall what was the desire that was going on in the moment that that happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that really mm-hmm. about? Was that really about having an affair? Right. Is that really what you wanted? Was, you know, was, was the gossip really what you wanted to do? Was the, was the rage in your kitchen is that really what you wanted to be? What was that really about? What did you want? Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted her to fill in the blank. And how would that have been helpful for you? And 
when was the first time you felt that kind of anger? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it was when I was six. Oh, and what was happening then? What did you want when you were six or 15 from your father or from your mother mm-hmm. that you now think you wish you could get it from your wife? And even though it's your wife that you wish you could get it from, it's really your dad and your mom that you've been waiting for for 40 years to get it. And so no wonder the rage is so great because like, like there's a big tank of it because mm-hmm. it didn't begin 10 years ago in your marriage. Mm-hmm. You've been collecting this rage for a long yeah. time. And you haven't had somebody who can enter into this to invite you to name what it was that you wanted when you were six yeah. and when you were 20. And if you can't name that desire, well, of course, it's going to get wrapped up in all kinds of other devouring practices. Mm-hmm. And then you just start to literally neurally we splice together my trauma and my shame with my desire. Yes. Right. So we can't tell. And I learned very yeah. quickly. Right. And I learned very quickly, like, that's just. That's just really bad karma, so I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a masterclass and a therapy session now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like. This is great. Yeah, Ben, um, if you lean much closer to your video camera, I'll lean closer to my video camera. And let's just have six minutes of silence here. Yeah, yeah. You and okay. me, buddy. Listeners, listeners, <laughs> if you're <laughs> turning up the volume. Kurt, I... Anyway. We'll look at each other. I, yeah, I have we'll look a, at each other. Loving kindness. You are, uh, I feel like you're doing some detangling work for us, and I want to see if I'm catching it, and and mm. I want to hold it back before us just to see if I'm I'm with you. In your previous work, uh, Soul of Shame, you talked a lot about um, about shame, and you're, you keep referencing it here as it relates to desire mm-hmm. and trauma. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm aware of as you're speaking is how we often try to use shame to master desire or to control mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And and right. I think, I, I think uh, for instance, for like a short period of time, shame is sufficient to not act on desire. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to cheat on my wife in front of my wife because that would be too embarrassing. But but eventually, mm-hmm. what you're mm-hmm. talking about is that desire, if it's not explored all the way through it will take dominion and and win. Mm-hmm. I, I guess mm-hmm. my question here is, what is the role of, you describe goodness and beauty, and I'm, I, I want to maybe introduce the word love. Like, what is, what is the role of love mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. centering, orienting, arranging experience in the, in the human Christian mm-hmm. life? as it pertains mm-hmm. to desire and shame mm-hmm. like how does that mm-hmm. how does that all get resolved how does that unwind and become whole yeah yeah well again uh try not to take take up too much time i think you know one thing that we tell people is you know we use words as humans as symbols of things that are both before and beyond words so, for instance, when we talk about, when we use the word mm-hmm. love, I like to say, like, look, there's no such thing as love in and of itself, right? Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 13, of course, but it's metaphor, right? Love really amounts to loving acts. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, it's not, there's not like there's the four of us, five of us, and love that are in the room. 
it's not like it's a thing that's in the room. I only know that it's in the room when I sense you looking at me with loving kindness. Mm. It's a loving act. Mm. I sense love with you if you're my dad and you are looking at me with loving kindness while you are also saying no to me about the thing that I want to do. Like, no, I don't like I'm, you know, I'm 10 years old and you're saying no, but you're doing it with loving kindness. And like, there's a part of me that like doesn't like this. Like, I don't like like this doesn't feel loving kindness. Mm -hmm. But that, in fact, is a loving act. But now the definition is broadening, like the experience is broadening. Mm -hmm. You're helping me, what we would say in the business is, you're helping me expand my window of tolerance, mm -hmm. which is a neurophysiologic effect of learning how to live with and regulate uncomfortable emotional states while remaining connected to another human being. Mm -hmm. And this connection is really the key. This is the, this, this is the reason why God's no right? Planting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden, not 40 miles to the west under a bunch of brambles where they could never find it, but putting it right in the middle of things. Why his no is such, uh, it is as important a function of his loving them as was his yes. You have the entire garden with one exception. And the one exception was as much a part of his love as was the entire rest of the garden. Mm -hmm. And so when we say love here, beauty, goodness. We're using it as a word that encompasses lots of these different embodied, perceived acts mm. that we both commit, that you and I commit, and that you and I receive from each other. And we would say that, you know, we could measure these things neurophysiologically, but we would say that what this ends up looking like in the real world are people, you and me and our kids and our parents, you and me who behave with greater states, more frequent and deeper states of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those are also words that describe various particular ways that we experience the world. Mm. When I'm having to work at being patient, that feels different than I'm being when, when I'm being joyful. And when I'm being faithful, but those are words, but that it's a, it, it's a broad range of interpersonal and neurobiologic experience yeah. in which we are being more and more and more like the king. Yeah. Can, are you saying then that love, love too often, we're, we're too often comfortable making love sort of an abstract conceptual truth when in reality, mm -hmm. love is a relational existential embodied uh act like love right. is a happening I mean, ever not since, an abstract concept right i mean a hebrew an ancient hebrew would might might be kind of confused with the way that we talk about the things we talk mm -hmm. about since descartes and the separation of the things that i think of from the embodied material universe it's become very fashionable for us to talk about all these things as if they actually exist in their abstract forms mm. Yes. When in fact, none of it exists in its abstract form. It only exists in terms of what you and I are doing with and toward each other in any given moment. We got to talk about it in the abstract as a way to have a way to talk about them. But that's not their primary way of existing. I can only do this when real things are happening, which is why when it, when it gets then to you know, preaching the gospel, for instance, we, uh, we, we've kind of taken on Descartes' fashion of like we preach the gospel as if it's this – now, we don't think explicitly in these terms. We don't come out and say this is an abstract. No, we believe it's a real thing, but we talk about it We as if it's abstract. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. 
instead of recognizing that the brain actually doesn't work that way at all. The brain operates most durably. We take in, we ingest, digest, and metabolize things most effectively, bottom to top and right to left. First, I sense, and only then do I make sense of what I sense. Yep. Hmm. Man, this is so good. I, uh, as we, as we draw this to a close, uh, Kurt, I wonder if you could, um, take, take a lot of, uh, what you've been talking about here that these embodied acts, uh, that are so important for us to kind of untangle. And I really appreciate what you're sharing about desire that like that underneath we can almost, it's almost like you're saying under, like we can trust that underneath our worst desires, so to speak, there is a, there is a godly desire. There is a desire that's placed there you know, that underneath the things that I want that are bad for me is something that I actually want that would fulfill me. Right. We, right. we actually want it to be, you know, seen as significant. We actually want to belong to one another. We actually want to see beauty yeah. and, and goodness. Right. Yes. Right. Um, so anyway, my question was this, uh, you, you talk in the book about um, gathering people into confessional communities. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the coaching we do. So Gravity Leadership Academy is a group uh, environment where we're you know, talking with one another. And sometimes people wonder about that because coaching sometimes is seen as like a, you know, a one-on-one thing. Um, but I think mm-hmm. um, some of what you describe that happens in confessional communities, I think is part of the goodness mm-hmm. that happens in our groups as well. And of so course. I wonder, I'm not surprised. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could just yeah. talk a little bit more about that. Like what, what's the vital role of community and confession in sort of unwinding our shame and our trauma and helping us get in touch with desire? Yeah. Well, one thing I, I'll, I'll point out, this question comes to me sometimes about like, well, gosh, these, you talk about these confessional communities, they sound so other, they sound so like artificial they, they're like these aren't the kinds of things that would just develop organically like you got to have two therapists and you got to pay money and you got all these rules and you know, all these things you got to do this feels very uh synthetic doesn't feel like this would it didn't it, like it wouldn't just like happen on my front porch right. to which i say um as it turns out somewhat surprisingly there is nothing that we do in confessional communities that we don't do in every other single domain of life that we occupy, whether it's in your family, your church, your school, in the checkout line at Safeway, it doesn't matter. Any interaction contains all the things that we do in these conventional communities with two exceptions. And the exceptions are, number one, the degree of conscious intentionality we are bringing to the interaction of the relationship at at any given Mm -hmm. moment. How purposefully am I going to be in relationship with you? I get to Safeway. I'm going through the checkout line. I just want to get home. Everything is on autopilot. I'm not paying attention to the clerk. I'm not paying attention. They're not I like, I like, but what happens if I do? Suddenly we have our own little confessional community going on. Now, you know, she might not talk about her marriage because she's got to get my groceries through the line or I might. But we can talk about things that we otherwise don't typically talk mm-hmm. about, even just by noticing yeah. things, even by just thanking people for what they've done. So, number one, the degree of intentionality with which we are purposefully being in relationship with the person, number one. And number two, the degree to which we are aware of the process of the relationship that's taking place. Mm. 
how aware am I of what's actually going on? When the person cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, I'm so pissed off because I'm trying to get to work. All the mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. And my autopilot brain just takes over. As opposed to, and, and, and the question, the question that I would ask is like, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? As opposed to, oh, I'm aware that I'm feeling things. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like what happened to that? That's a different question. But that is about being aware of the layers of what's happening in the moment, in the relationship at any given time. What we do in the confessional community, and we call them this not because we're confessing sin, but because to confess is to tell the truth about one's life. We believe that our mission is to tell our stories more truly. Mm. Leadership, for example, I would say a way to think about leadership is that if I am a leader, if I'm in a position of leader, if I occupy an office of that, my role is really to enable the people with whom I interact intimately, for whom I have responsibility. I want to enable them to tell their story as truly as possible. Yes. I want to do whatever I can do to enable them to flourish, enable them to create beauty and goodness in the world, to do those works that were foreordained before the foundation of the world for them to do. I want to call forth beauty in them in the way that God called forth beauty in Genesis 1. Mm. But I can't do that as a leader for them if someone else is not doing the same thing for me. Mm. Because I cannot give anybody what I don't have. This is why Trinitarian theology is such a big freaking deal. <laughs> totally. And perhaps we can talk about that more at another time. But <laughs> little teaser for uh, our next podcast with you, Kurt. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, I mean, I'm. I, I would love to do this with you every month. Deal. Just once a month, you're on a right. podcast. Sure. <laughs> Great. Call Call Jody. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll figure I it mean, out. She's my yeah. gatekeeper. No, uh, I'm 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 joking. But it um, it was great to have you, Kurt. And there's so many threads uh, that I want to chase down um, and talk about. And so I do want to have you on another time. Um, and maybe we can figure out yeah. a way for you to continue to, um, yeah, just teach us and talk to our community. It would be a delight. Um, it's really really good. Yeah. Uh, friends, the book is yeah. called "The Soul of Desire: Discovering the Neuroscience of Longing, Beauty, and Community," um, and it's really good. And uh, it's going in our supplemental material for gravity leadership academy Mm -hmm. kurt um how else can people uh reach out and get in touch with you or learn more about you and your work yeah thanks um ben uh they can you can you can follow me on instagram on twitter and facebook uh i also have a podcast called the being known podcast that in many respects uh covers a lot of this stuff we're actually at our third we're wrapping up recording the third season which is a it's an unpacking of the book in fact so you can find that on Spotify or iTunes, uh, whatever you know, you, wherever you get your uh, your um, podcasts. Um, and then uh, you can—I I have resources on my website, kurtthompsonmd.com okay. is a way to, to do that. Um, I want to say one thing though before sure. we go. It's not about okay. me. It's about your name. I don't mean your name, Ben. <laughs> okay. I mean the name of your organization. Yes. I don't know where you got the where the where the word gravity came mm-hmm. from. I, I don't, I don't know about that, but, um, you know, uh, I, I just want to say it's, it's, it's a beautiful word whenever we're talking about like, like gravity is something that is, uh, about as true as it gets. 
Yeah. Mm. Like you, like you can't argue right. with it. You, I mean, well, you can, but like you never win the right. argument yeah. with gravity. Like there, there's, there's, there's nothing that we do that does not have to keep gravity in mind, despite the fact that most of the time we're not thinking about it. It is true in the way that the biblical narrative is true in the way the work you're trying to do is to enable people to live into the true world, yeah. into the real world. And I, uh, again, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm making this up as far as what your war ideas were about the, about the world. But I just love that your organization is called that. It's just a beautiful thing. Well, that's great. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll stop. Well, yeah. That. I mean, we started out, uh, you feeling encouraged, uh, at the beginning of this podcast and, and now we feel encouraged. So this, this has been great. Yeah. Um, it's a, it, great. Yeah. in some ways it was almost like a little confessional community. Right on. It was, yeah. My heart feels full that. friends. Yeah. It does. Yeah, it really yeah. does. This is why I want to do this every cool. month. So. so thank you. Very good. Right. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks Kurt. You bet. See you friends. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is having a versatile high quality favorite feels great but having a whole closet of them feels even better american giant puts the quality durability and comfort they're famous for into everything from t-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets and of course their legendary best hoodie ever so you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days, like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use Staple 20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.